All right, if, if you are a kid, you can come on up and sit on this front pew. I have something that I'm so excited about. I'm so excited. Let me grab all my stuff. One of the cool, cool, cool things about Christmas time and New Year's time is that we get to have a lot of snacks and treats and stuff. Did you guys have a lot of stuff at your house? Over the holidays, did you have like special cookies and cakes and pies or anything? Nothing? Your folks didn't bring any candy into your house at all during Christmas? Well. Well. So, well, this is what I want to share with you guys. I love pudding. You guys have ever, you guys ever had pudding before? I love pudding. And this is chocolate pudding. But not only is this chocolate pudding, but this is Almond Joy chocolate pudding, which means it has... Coconut says real coconut and real almonds. And you know what? Normally, with I'm, I'm not a cook. I am, I am not a cook. My wife does all the cooking in our house. But I know that normally you have to take the, cook, the, the pudding and open it up and put it in a pot. And then you put all the stuff in there. And then you have to put it on the stove. And you have to stand there and stir it and stir it and stir it and stir it. And so it takes forever, and I couldn't bring a stove here, because that would be crazy. So I found this box. It's called Instant Pudding. Woohoo! No cooking! All I have to do is open this box and mix it up, and we have pudding! It says instantly we have pudding. It's so exciting, I can't wait. I can't wait. Because I love pudding, and I want to share it with you guys. So, I got this pudding. And I'm going to open up the package. Open up the package. And then... Where's the pudding? You have to have water. You have to have water? Oh! Oh, I, I got water. I got water. Um, here. Let's do this. We have to add water, right? Okay, so we add water. What? I did too much water. It doesn't look like pudding at all. It looks pretty disgusting. Oh, I know what the problem is. I was supposed to stir it. It doesn't look like it's getting any better. <laughs> this is pretty bad. More than it. This doesn't. How come it's not working? It said it's instant. It doesn't. It's not instant. That's disgusting. <laughs> that looks like somebody threw up in the mold. <laughs> That's not pudding. Number two, 
and two cups of milk. Uh -oh. Then stir it up with an electric mixer at low speed for two minutes. Then pour into dishes and refrigerate. Pudding will be ready to serve in five minutes or 30 minutes, depending on how hard you want the pudding. I ruined it. I messed it all up. And now it's not going to be pudding. Now it's just brown water with junk in it. Hmm. Chocolate water. You want to try and taste it? No, that's disgusting. That's gross. Well, I'm disappointed because I can't serve you guys pudding. But you know what? It reminds me of a story that's in the Bible. There's a story about pudding in the Bible. Did you know that? No, not really. But there's a story about following instructions. And let me read it to you. There was a man named Naaman. His name, he was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man. And everyone, everyone respected him. But he had a problem. He had a disease called leprosy. You know what leprosy is? That's where your skin is all yucky and you have like sores on your skin and and, and it, people it's very it's very contagious meaning if you touch somebody with leprosy you can get it yourself so people who had leprosy everyone was like stay away from me don't come near me well Naaman had it and he, he didn't know what he was going to do because back then they didn't have hospitals back then they didn't have medicine like, they, like we do now and there was a girl who worked in Naaman's house and it says that she said oh I wish that the, I wish that, the, that Naaman would just go to to my home country, to Israel, because there's a prophet there, and he can he can help him to get uh, healed of leprosy. And so when Naaman heard about this prophet, this man of God, he went to his boss, the king, and he said, "Could I go and try and get healed by this guy?" And so the king said, "Sure." And the king wrote a letter to the other king, and he said, "I'm sending my commander Naaman to you, and I want you to heal him of his leprosy." And the king of Israel went. So Naaman came to Elisha, and he came outside with all of his army, and he was standing out there, and he said, I'm here, Elisha. And Elisha didn't even come outside of his house, and he said to his friend, to his servant, God, go outside and tell him, just go take a dip in the water in the, in Jer in the, 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 <sighs> the Jordan River seven times. Go into the water, come out. Go into the water, come out seven times, and then he'll be cured of his leprosy. So his servant, Gehazi, goes out and says, Naaman, my boss said to tell you to go to the River Jordan and get into the water seven times, go down and up, down and up, down and up seven times, and then you'll be cured of your leprosy. And you know what Naaman did? He got mad. What do you mean he's not coming out of his house to talk to me? What do you mean that he tells me just to go out and dip myself in the water seven times? That's silly. I expect him to come out there and have a magic wand and say special words and he's not doing any of that. And one of his servants said, Naaman, if he had asked you to go and fight a big battle to get saved, the cure of your leprosy, would you do it? Well, yes. Well, if he 
asked you to go and, and, and climb a mountain to get cured of your leprosy, would you do it? Well, of course I would. Well, then, why can't you follow the instructions he gave you? Go get into the water of the river Jordan and dip in seven times and see what happens. Okay. And so Naaman went to the Jordan River. And he got into the water and dipped down and came back out. He dipped down and came back out seven times. And the Bible says, when he came out the seventh time, his skin was clean and fresh just like a newborn baby. God healed him. But Naaman had to follow the instructions. He had to do what God told him to do. And it's just like trying to make pudding without following the instructions. If you try to do it any other way than the way God wants you to do it, you don't get the same result. And it doesn't look good. And it's been five minutes and it's not turning into pudding. I think I'm going to have to throw that out. So I'm going to pray with you guys, okay? And today we're doing something different. We're not going to have to go back like we normally do because we have just a short, a small group of people. So we're just going to all stay in the service today, okay? Jesus, I ask that you would bless these kids. I ask that you would help them, Lord, to come to understand what it means that you've given us very specific instructions on how you want us to live our life. And that if we'll do that, things will turn out great. But if we ignore your instructions, things won't turn out so good. Help them learn to learn that lesson early in life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright guys, thanks for coming. And you can go back and sit with your folks. And I better hide this so that it doesn't end up on the floor. <laughs> um, I'm put it over here. Help me to remember, folks, that it's over here. I have been in Fairbanks since the year 2003. And when I first moved here, um, I met a man whose name was Fred. And Fred was the pastor of First African Methodist Episcopal Church down in Fairbanks. And he was, he, he ended up becoming one of my best friends. I really, really loved him desperately. He was about as old as my dad, but we were more like brothers. And anytime you'd ask Fred, Fred, how you doing? Almost every single time, Fred would say to me, oh, I'm sipping from a saucer because my cup done overflowed. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he helped me to understand that that's actually an expression that comes out of the Psalms. It's been up on the screen in front of you all morning. Psalm 23, the, the shepherd's psalm, is verse, 20, verse 5 of that says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And this idea of cup overflowing is that my life is just full of blessings. God is just blessing me over to the point where it's just, it's spilling out everywhere. And I'm in, I'm at peace and I'm content and life is good. And I didn't know it until I started preparing this sermon, but there is actually a poem that was written called Drinking from My Saucer. And I want to share it with you guys. It's on the screen, so just it's on the screen, so just follow along with the, with me as I read it. Again, it's called Drinking from My Saucer. It's by a guy named John Paul Moore. I've never made a fortune, and it's probably too late now. But I don't worry about that much. I'm happy anyhow. 
And as I go along life's way, I'm reaping better than I sowed. I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. Haven't got a lot of riches and sometimes the going's tough, but I've got loving ones all around me and that makes me rich enough. I thank God for his blessings and the mercies he's bestowed. I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. I remember times when things went wrong. My faith wore somewhat thin, but all at once the dark clouds broke and the sun peeped through again. So, Lord, help me not to gripe about the tough rose I have hoed. I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. If God gives me strength and courage when the way grows steep and rough, I'll not ask for other blessings. I'm already blessed enough. And may I never be too busy to help others bear their loads. Then I'll keep drinking from my saucer because my cup has overflowed. If you could just bring up that last screen and just leave that up there for the rest of the time, please. As I was preparing this week, um, I read, I, I've shared this with you before, but I read a little bit out of the Old Testament, a little bit out of the New Testament, a little bit out of the Psalms, and then the daily proverb. That's what I read for my morning devotions. And this week, God has had me in Second Kings, which is the, the beginning of the story of the prophet Elisha. And if you're ever familiar, if you've ever looked at the difference between Elijah and Elisha, Elijah is the prophet that was, uh, the prophet that fought against, basically against King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And he's the one that, that said it wasn't going to rain for three years and then it didn't rain. And then, then he was on the mountain and, and they called down fire from heaven to consume the, 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 uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the sacrifice and, those are these magic, these dramatic, wonderful, glorious things. I mean, Elijah is held up by Jewish people as the prophet of prophets. The, the guy, Elijah is the one that, that they hold up as the guy who's going to be foretelling, I mean, going to be uh, leading the people, excuse me, preparing the way for the Messiah. So Elijah is a pretty big guy in Jewish history. But if you go into Second Kings and start reading the story of Elisha, it's amazing that Elisha has a a much bigger ministry than Elijah did. He has a much, much more rich interactions with human beings than Elijah did. Elijah was always off by himself. And I, I, I wanted, I was questioning, I said, and I actually went and did a Google search. I said, is Elijah greater or is Elisha greater? And one of the things I found, uh, in one of my commentaries, there is a table that lists all of the miracles of all the prophets that you find in the Bible. And Elisha, did almost, has almost three times as many miracles recorded as Elijah did. And so I read through that story of where Elisha took over responsibility of being the prophet for the nation when Elijah left the earth. And I wanted to look at that a little bit this morning, and then we're going to move on into just a little bit more of what I wanted to talk about. So turn with me, if you will, to Second Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter two. And what this is, this is the first 17, first 14 verses is the story of Elijah being taken off the earth. Now, we're not going to take time to read all 14 verses because we just don't have time this morning. But it, just to, synops, to, to make a synopsis, if you remember the story, Elijah 
when it was all said and done, didn't actually die. God set a chariot of fire down and Elijah got in it and the chariot took Elijah up to heaven. And Elisha was with Elijah that whole time. And if you read verse one of chapter two, it says, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now, if you look at verses 2, 4, and 6 in this chapter, you will see those exact same words. Elijah saying to Elisha, listen, God's calling me to go over here. I want you to stay here. And Elisha looks at Elijah and says, "Ah, not on your life. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I am not leaving your side. Now, the question was, why? Why was it so important that Elisha not leave Elijah's side? Well, we get those answers in verses 3 and 5 of this chapter. And what it is, the group of prophets that that ministered with um, Elijah and Elisha were known as the sons of the prophets. And they were a group of people who were like a, like a monastery, if you will, but they weren't, they weren't priests that didn't get married. They could have married, they could have kids, but, but these were people who were dedicated to the word of God and to proclaiming the word of God and to seeing that the nation of Israel honored God. And the sons of the prophets came up to Elisha in verses three and five of this chapter and they said, Hey, did you know that God's going to take Elijah today? And what does Elisha say? Look at verse three. He says, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Basically, what he said was, shut up, leave me alone. Of course, I know this. Why would he say that? Verse three and verse five. Why was he saying that? He knew that God was getting ready to take Elijah. Elisha refused to leave Elijah's side. And whenever any of the prophets tried to talk to him about what was about to happen that day, he said, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. Why? You don't have to say it out loud, but think about it. Why? I would submit to you that when we look at verse 9 through 12, we get the answer to the why. If you look at verse 9, it says, When they had crossed, Elijah had said to Elisha, I'm going to cross over the Jordan. When Elijah said, Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as both Elijah and Elisha were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water, and the water was parted on the one side to the other. And so the two men crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you don't see me, it shall not be so. Now, what I would submit to you is that Elijah 
I mean, Elisha knew that already. That's why he was sticking right up against Elijah and not letting him out of his sight. That's why he wasn't allowing any distractions. He wasn't, he, the people trying to talk to him, he said, shh, leave me alone, leave me alone. He's keeping his eye focused right on Elijah the whole time. Not taking his eyes off of Elijah. I'm not, because God had already revealed to Elisha that Elijah was leaving that day. And Elisha wanted to have the spirit of God on him in the same way that Elijah had it on him. But he wanted it in double measure. And he knew that if he would watch Elijah when he was gone, I mean, when he was taken, that he would receive that. He knew that inside. And so he was being faithful. I'm not leaving you. I'm not taking my eyes off you. I'm not going to listen to any distractions. Everyone shut up. Leave me alone. He just focused totally on Elijah. Can you imagine how hard that would be? If you're a parent and you have a two-year-old and you've got to keep track of that two-year-old throughout your day, trying to keep your eyes on that two-year-old every moment of all day long while you're trying to go about doing your regular business, that's not possible. But Elisha had determined that nothing, nothing was going to dissuade him. He was going to keep his eyes on Elijah. And what ends up happening is indeed, he saw Elijah go up in the whirlwind in the chariot and that the, the cloak fell from the chariot Elisha took off his own cloak, tore it into pieces, and put on the cloak of Elijah. And he literally says, so where's the Lord, the God of Elijah now? Now, he wasn't being proud and arrogant. He was like, woohoo! Yes! 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 And then he, literally in the same way that Elijah dried up the water of the Jordan. Elisha takes the robe off, rolls it up, strikes the Jordan River, the water stops, and he crosses across on dry ground. And the whole group of prophets who were standing there watching this whole thing went, and they literally said, God's spirit is now with Elisha. Wow. Pretty cool. Pretty cool story. Now, again, I told you that Elisha did Three times as many has has three times as many recorded miracles in the Bible. One of those miracles I want to take a look at. And the reason I want to take a look at it is because I believe Elisha was passing on what he had learned in this scenario onto this person. Okay, so let's look at Second Kings chapter four. Just turn a page or two in your Bible. Second Kings chapter four. And it's the first seven verses. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. Now, stop. One of the sons of the prophets. Remember, I said there were those 50 prophets that were there traveling together like a a little group, a little monastery. This was the wife of one of those guys. Some scholars, some Jewish scholars say that she was actually the wife of Obadiah, the guy who wrote one of the books of the Bible. We have no proof of that, but historically, that's what the rabbinical teaching is. But... Anyway, this woman comes to Elisha and she says, my husband is dead. And you know that my husband feared the Lord, but we don't have any money. And the creditors have come and they're about to take my two kids away to be slaves to pay the debt. And Elisha looks at her and says, so what do you want me to do about that? And then all of a sudden he has this idea, he says, Tell me, what do you, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house that has any value at all? And she's like, I don't have anything. I mean, all I've got is this, 
This little jar of oil, that's it. And Elisha tells her this. He said, I want you to go into your community. I want you to go around your neighbors. And I want you to borrow jugs, vessels, cups, anything you can from them. Anything that is ritualistically pure and clean and bring it into your house. And don't get a few, get a lot. Look at verse 3. Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Those three words, not too few. Why in the world was that important? Well, then it says, verse 4, Then you are to go in and shut the door behind yourself, and you and your sons are to pour the oil into these vessels. When one vessel is full, set it aside. So she went from Elisha, and she shut the door behind herself, with her sons, and she began pouring the oil. And as she was pouring the oil, when one would fill up, she would push it aside. She said, bring me another one. And her boy would put one in front of her and she'd pour until it was full. She'd set it aside. She said, bring me another one. Bring me another one. Bring me another one. Bring me another one. And it says, when the vessels were all full, verse six, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, mom, there's no more. They're all full. As soon as that was said, as soon as the last vessel was full, the miracle stopped. The oil stopped flowing. So then she came and she told the man of God, Elisha, what had happened. And he said, okay, great. Now, go take all of that oil and sell it. Take the money you receive from that oil. Pay your debt. And then the money that's remaining you can live on to support you and your kids. Wow. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. What would have happened if she'd just gone and gotten five vessels? Would the oil have flowed? I think so. Would she have had enough to pay her debts? Probably not. Would she have had enough to pay her debts? Maybe, but not enough to live on after that. But if she followed the instructions that she was given by the man of God, go and borrow vessels from your neighbors and don't get just a few of them. Get as many as you possibly can. Make sure you get all that are available. Then go into your house privately and God's going to perform a really cool thing. Okay, so she does. And she just takes him at his word and does it. She believes him. And the end result is her kids are not taken into bond servanthood, not into slavery. And she has enough money to not only pay the debt, but to live and to be able to be care, care for her family. Now, as I reflected on that and I thought about that and I thought, why would he do that? And my thinking was, Well, that's how he learned to do what God told him to do. He had something that he needed, that he wanted. God, I want a double portion of the spirit that you put on Elijah. I want it on me so that I can be just as powerful in my ministry to the people of my nation. And God said, keep your eyes on Elijah. If you keep your eyes on Elijah and if you see him go up in that chariot, then you will have that blessing and you will have what you've asked for. But you have to keep your eyes on Elijah. And so Elisha learned that lesson. 
God gave him a clear instruction and he followed it. And he did what he was supposed to do. And in so doing, he received that double blessing. So he taught this woman the same thing. You have a need. You've come to God. God can meet your need. But you have to do exactly as you're told. If you don't follow it, you're going to short circuit the blessing that could come. Not that God isn't able, but you're going to, if there's not enough vessels, what is it, what good is it going to do to keep the oil flowing? It's going to pour out on the ground and be spoiled and not useful to anybody. So as I was reflecting on that and thinking about it and how could I communicate that to you, I started thinking about this idea that God partnered with these two people. They wanted something from God. They needed something from God. And God said, I'm willing, but I'm going to do this with you, not just for you. And I was like, well, is that is that the way God still works in my life? Is that the way I still have a relationship with God? Is it that God needs me or desires me? And so I was trying to think in God, in Jesus's ministry on the earth, did he operate that way? And yeah, if you look in Matthew and you don't have to turn here if you don't want to. But if you look in Matthew chapter nine, verses 20 to 22, we see this woman who has had a, a problem with her menstrual flow for 12 years. This woman has been bleeding and been unclean in her community. And she has gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. And she has sought help from everyone. She spent the word, the word says she spent all that she had trying to get healed. And so finally, Jesus is coming through her community and she literally is having to crawl to get to him because it says she touched the hem of his garment. But we we scholars believe that what she actually did was she touched the, the tzitzi, which was the little tassels hanging off of his prayer shawl. And she had to get down low to do that. So literally, imagine there's this crowd of people coming. She got on her hands and knees to get through the legs. And she said, if I could just touch the tzitzi on his prayer shawl, I know I'll be healed. And she reached out and did. And it says the glory of God passed through the through Jesus. And he said, he stopped. He said, everybody stop. Who touched me? And one of his disciples said, look at the crowd around you. Of course people touched you. What are you talking about? He said, no. No, someone touched me. A blessing has happened and we're not going to let this go in secret. God's power has left and we are going to make sure that this is known. And so the woman then trembling says, I did. And he said, what does he say to her? Verse 22, Jesus turned and seeing her, Jesus said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Hmm. So I have to have faith in God. One of the verses that came to me after I prepared my sermon, I was sitting over there this morning and I went, I don't have time to change my notes, but I'm going to remember this. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29, if somebody can quickly turn to that, I would like you to read it. Proverbs 15, verse 29. It doesn't matter what translation you've got. When you get there, read it out loud so everyone can hear. The Lord is fair, firm, 
The Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayers of the righteous. So what I hear that saying is, if you are not in right relationship with God, God has no responsibility to hear your prayer. But if you are righteous, God hears your prayer. And it's not said, but God answers your prayer. God responds to your prayer. So there's this idea of faith being part of the equation. God saying, I have all the power and I'm willing, but I am expecting something from you in return. Put your trust in me. Faith, believe that I can. If you do, and we are in good relationship, I'm going to pour out blessings on you. We see Matthew chapter 9, Jesus doing that for this woman. If you go just a a few verses past that, you see Jesus heals two blind men. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? They say, we want to see, Lord. And he says, verse 29, he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. So it's not just a matter of having faith. Jesus says here, according to your faith, let it be done. So does that mean that these blind guys are going to end up wearing glasses for the rest of their life because they didn't have enough faith to get 20-20 vision? Think about it. At what point does God say, well, you don't have strong enough faith, I don't have to do it all. Yeah, I, 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 I know we're in right relationship, but you're not giving me the full trust, so I'll give you the amount of, amount of blessing based on the amount of faith. How's that? Does that seem right and fair? Does that seem appropriate? I, I'm, I'm, these are all the things that I thought about this week as I was processing. And then God brought me to Mark chapter 9. We've been in Matthew chapter 9. If you go to Mark chapter 9, it's right after the transfiguration, right after Jesus and Peter and John are up on the mountain and Jesus inter- has interaction with Moses and Elijah and there's the, it's the Shekinah glory. Jesus is Brilliant and white and glorious. And then they come down off the mountain and there's a father down there whose son has a demon. In some translations, it says he's an epileptic. We don't understand or know what it was. All we know is that this kid was tormented by something. And Jesus's followers tried to bring healing, but it wasn't working. And Jesus was brought, was confronted by the father. And the father says to Jesus, if you can help me. And Jesus in verses 23 and 24 looks at the father and says, if I can help. All things are possible for him who believes. And immediately it says the father of the child cried out and said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus healed the kid. And for me. That was defining as I was reading and praying and studying. Because it was like, God sees our frailty. God knows our weakness. God knows our heart. And it's not a matter of offering to God perfect, 100% flawless faith. God has the ability to do anything and can do anything and chooses to do anything. And he'll even pour out double blessings if you'll meet him. So the things that I took from this that I wanted to share with you are these. Number one, each of these stories have some common elements. Each of these passages teach me a a few distinct things. Number one, God's power and resources are completely limitless. 
He is not hindered. God is never hindered by anything when God is presented with a need. There is nothing that keeps God from being able to respond and meet that need. The second truth that I see here, God allows us to be part of the equation. God could simply make it happen. But God chooses to allow us to be part of the equation. I think that's why we pray. I think that's why we intercede on someone else's behalf. I am praying for you because you can't for yourself, maybe. Or maybe you're one of the unrighteous that God has no responsibility to hear your prayer. Proverbs 15, 29. But I am in right relationship with God and God does hear my prayer. So I pray for the unrighteous and say, God, heal their heart. Bring them to repentance. Help them to hear the truth of your word. Bring the light of Christ into their life. Why? Because God hears my prayer. So God joins with me or God allows me to join God, if you will, in evangelizing or bringing the truth to somebody who doesn't know the truth or can't hear the truth because they're spiritually dead. Or praying blessing or praying healing or praying for provision. God joins our faith to God's power and brings about. But I don't think that it has to be a perfect faith. I do think it has to be a perfect obedience. And what I mean by that is this. If God has spoken to you and said, this is how you are to make pudding. Then don't do it differently from the way God told you. Because you won't get pudding. If God has clearly said to you, confess your sins, repent of your sins, believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. If you do that, you will be saved. If you want the blessings of God, how do you get the blessings of God? Well, Jesus himself said, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. In doing that, you have fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets. And if you do that, God will consider you righteous. Therefore, God will hear your prayer and God will honor your faith. And God will bring about the blessings in your life so that your cup will overflow. And maybe even some around you will get splashed on. But it's a matter of you being obedient to following what you know to be the truth. To following the instructions. And if you do that, God... So, what do we want for this year? Oh, I just, I want to have a nice house and I want to have my... If that's really, truly the depths of your heart, then pray for that. But I'll tell you what I'm praying for. I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God in this community such that we've never experienced in our lives. I'm praying that God will bring at least one person to faith through me this year. That I will have the privilege of leading someone to Christ. 
that I will have the privilege of helping to disciple them to become a faithful and true follower of the Lord. That's my prayer for this year. And that's not just something I made up this weekend because I have to have a resolution. This has been on my heart for months. But as I've been thinking about this, it's like, God, I know that I'm in relationship with you. I know that that you hear my prayer. And I know that you work in partnership with me. So help me to be intentional about speaking truth. Help me to be intentional about reaching out. Help me to be intentional about finding ways to lead people to the truth of the gospel. And then bless me, God, to the point that my cup overflows and I have to sip from my saucer. That's my prayer. I pray the same would be true for you. Let's pray. Father God, bless us this morning. Bless us this day. Bless us this week and bless us this year, Lord. Help us, Father. Help us to honor you and to glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.